there's a there's a contest that happens in I can't remember if it's Iceland or Norway where they have uh, groups of competitors. It's a televised thing oh. where the, the contest is to go from sh- like sheep to sweater. Who can go from sheep to sweater <laughs> the fastest? So they have to like shear the sheep and spin the yarn and then knit it into a sweater. Oh, that's amazing. And I want to like, that's the kind of thing I want to, I want to see on that's my so TV. That's so cool. everybody and welcome once again to random fandom a show where i stephanie weaver pronouns she her talk to my friend Britt kelly pronouns they them about some random fandom that we want to talk about Britt, you got a tagline for us this week yes so haikyuu actually my no no, no i don't want to start with haikyuu i want to start with random fandom the show where each episode we find something that will t- make you trans <laughs> actually i am excited to talk about that so (laughs) we are talking about everybody's favorite volleyball anime this week haikyuu we're gonna be talking about the manga and the anime so like spoiler alerts for all of that i'm gonna run through some basics here and it's gonna be pretty clear as we're talking that i am the one who was like super super into this fandom and brit checked it out just to humor me um so (laughs) we'll see how this goes so random fandom not random fandom haikyuu you know all about random fandom (laughs) so the manga was written by haruichi furudate it started serialization in february of 2012 and finished up in 2020 during the pandemic the anime has still been running started running in 2014 they have announced a final film for some things which the fans are not really happy about because you can't put as much in a film as you can in like a season of a show mm-hmm. and also if this is going to be the final film they're not actually going to finish the whole story which is also disappointing but it's also been adapted into like a radio drama and a video game and the one that I find the most interesting is the stage play and watching clips from a stage play of like adults playing teenagers playing volleyball <laughs> It's really amazing. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. In terms of the stage play, was this developed officially or was this initially a fan developed production? As far as I know, it was a it was like an official canon production, which is apparently not uncommon for uh, manga to have stage adaptations. Yeah, I feel I've heard of this before but the last time I heard about it was it was in response to like a boys love fandom and I know that boys love isn't official but I also understand that at least in eastern Asia China and Japan in particular you can have a pretty robust fan market of fan made and produced things in a way that you don't really see in the United States so I was curious to know if it was official official or unofficial you know, now now I am doubting myself. I thought it was official, official, but I'm not sure. Oh, no, I'm sure you know. I'm just curious. <laughs> you um, are the expert. I'm an expert. I'm the expert on experts. 
Well, actually, what what Haikyuu has done for me is it's made me an expert on volleyball, but not really. Like I'm a I'm an armchair expert on volleyball now in a way that I was not before. So for those of you who haven't seen the show, Haikyuu follows a teenager named Shoyo Hinata who gets obsessed with volleyball after he sees the uh, the little giant is what they call him because he's a short guy playing volleyball, but he can jump really high. So um, he sees him playing in the national championship high school national championship game. Hinata joins Karasuno High School because that's where the little giant played and he joins the volleyball club. But the team there has like been in a slump and they haven't been very good. And the coach that they had, who was like the big star coach has gotten too old to continue coaching. Hinata is also really short for a volleyball player, which is why he idolizes the little giants. And he's actually just not very good at the game, but he's got a lot of like raw athletic power. And he meets this setter named Kagiyama, who is like super skilled. And together they like work together to pull off these crazy plays nobody's ever seen. And so the whole story is like them on their journey to spring nationals to try to win the whole baloney. What is it they call it? The whole. I have no idea because I I did. Enchilada. Enchilada. The whole enchilada. I like that. Yeah. I, I did watch the recap and I watched the first episode. I managed to find the first episode on YouTube and I found it really, really fascinating. I, it The show is on Crunchyroll, but I started watching it and there is, are no subtitles. So I was like, well, this is exciting. I don't know Japanese, <laughs> so I can't follow what's happening. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize that they, I, I did, I did take away that they were going to the championship I also took away a lot of homoeroticism in the very opening episode amongst certainly our main characters, Shoyo and Kageyama. But also there were these two guys who were keeping score in the background that seemed to have a little connection going on. There's a certain like, I feel like whenever I've engaged with with anime, there definitely is a certain element of like homosocial engagement and something about the way they animate facial expressions and interactions that reads as very like homoerotic or queer in certain ways that maybe maybe it's text maybe it's subtext maybe it's just me but maybe that's something to talk about later so yeah it's a very it's a very homosocial show there are very few female characters that get much time Mm-hmm. And we're really focused on teen guys being friends, playing on a team, learning about each other. And it's it's very easy to like move from the homosocial to the homoerotic. I feel like last week we were all about like, wow, this is really great for trans community. And this <laughs> week I'm just like, let's talk about all the homoeroticism. So I I find it really interesting that this show got as popular as it did even mm. here in the states because it it's a it's an anime about volleyball like yeah. that's really what the whole thing is about so i've been thinking a lot about why exactly it is so engaging i guess and one of the things i find really interesting about this is that is the way that it makes volleyball as a sport accessible to people who aren't really familiar with volleyball and right. it sets this up in a few ways 
So we have a combination of experienced players and coaches with inexperienced players. The the Karasuno faculty advisor doesn't know anything about volleyball. He agreed to do it just to like help the team out, but they're having to explain the rules to him a lot. Okay. So it's a chance. It sets up this way for the show to explain volleyball to the viewers in a way that doesn't always feel really unnatural. Yeah, it seems more organic if someone in the show needs to have it explained. Yeah. The other thing that works really well is because of the way that anime, um, this is the thing that my partner Ben makes fun of uh, with anime the most, is the way it'll have these like two seconds in time that are stretched into like two minutes of internal monologue as the the like <laughs> character is like thinking through all the possible things that could go right and could go wrong and what they could do. Mm -hmm. But that also means that you can get a sense of the choices that players are making as they're playing. Yeah. So I, like I said, I came out of the show knowing a lot more about volleyball than I ever thought I would. I wasn't really a fan of volleyball before, and now I kind of enjoy watching volleyball. Yeah. It. So I, I became really curious to know, like, is volleyball a really popular sport in Japan? And it turns out, yes, it's an incredibly popular sport. There's both a ton of like men's and women's teams. It's a, it's a major thing in middle school and high school. It's something that people watch. It's, it reminds me of small town America's relationship with usually American football, occasionally basketball as well. So I thought that was really, really fascinating in terms of watching the first episode. I feel like something else that I noticed that seemed really kind of lovely and maybe part partially why the show could be so popular is every discussion of being a player on the team or playing a sport was all about topping your personal best it was about the being positive and developing that positive mindset it was you against yourself rather than it being a, a really toxic environment and I found that to be really refreshing because I think if if we were to make a show that was a cartoon about football players in the United States, I don't think there would be nearly this much positive representation of how do you develop in a sport. There also seemed to be a lot of focus on positive, successful team support, particularly once the characters were going off to high school in my very limited amount of watching this show. And I thought that was really refreshing as well. Yeah. One of the things that is regularly repeated is that volleyball is a team sport. The rules of the game are set up where you you cannot do it all on your own because mm -hmm. you can't touch the ball twice in a row. So, And there's lots of instances where we see teams, like the individuals in different teams have different kinds of relationships. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing that, that has made this show so popular is because we have such a wide cast of characters and we get to see teams that are built and interact with each other in different ways mm -hmm. so like just to kind of go through a few there's Karasuno who's our like main characters there's three other local teams in their area Albajosai, Date Tech, and Shiratorizawa there's four Tokyo teams that we get to know especially Nekoma and Fukurodani there's mm -hmm. a few rival teams and then a lot of these teams get more time in a they did a spin-off manga series called Haikyuu Boo which is like a comedy series so that's where we find out all about like the one guy in Alba Josai who is obsessed with aliens which is so <laughs> funny because he's like this like 
pretty boy, so perfect. Like all the girls swoon over him. And then you find out that he's got this like whole secret alien conspiracy theory. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. But there's one character I I especially like the Nekama team because the setter in Nekama is he's actually like a video game nerd. And as we go through the show, there's a post eight year time skip later where we see where all of these people are as, as grown ups. And he's like a yeah. streamer. He's a YouTuber for his career. And he really doesn't like physical activity, but we see these moments where he like tries to do better and commits to his team because his friends really enjoy volleyball and he wants his friends to be happy. So he does his best too. So even if it's not your personal best in terms of like being good at your sport, it could be your personal best in terms of like being a friend. Yeah, I that. That did seem to to be involved as well, the sense of duty to the team or your peers in ways that is definitely not a part of much of Western culture in the same kind of way, which again, maybe is partially why it's so refreshing to see this representation of sports, because again, if we think of the key American sports, it's not that teams are not crucial and essential, but we get a valorization of the star player and Mm -hmm. and you know playing your best is really more you focused than it is community focused in a way that it seems like that seems to be the case on this Mm -hmm. show yeah and I think that's partially uh you know Japanese culture does tend to be more communal very duty focused as opposed to our more individualized western culture so it is it is kind of nice to like have even the like rivalries on this show are like wholesome in a way. Mm-hmm. You've got little Hinata. Oh, I'm going to beat you because you're the best volleyball player I know. Also, oh, my tummy. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly, like, I think for me, one of the big reasons. So I like enjoyed watching the anime first and then I read the manga and as I finished the manga I think part of the reason the story meant so much to me was watching Hinata's journey to adulthood because in the beginning he's like sacrificing everything he has for the sake of volleyball like his his grades aren't very good he's having to try to do everything on his own Through the course of the show, we see him like learning how to play with teammates. He Mm -hmm. starts asking for advice when before he was so determined that like he was going to be the best on his own. And like big spoiler here, but when Karasuno does go to the spring nationals, they end up getting pushed out because Hinata pushes himself too hard and he gets sick. He doesn't take care of himself. So post time skip, when we see him like eight years in the future and he's like building his professional career, we see him like he's got this like line of books on his shelf and they're all called like how to sleep, how to eat, how to meditate. And we see him doing these things to take care of himself and to like self parent, I guess, Mm -hmm. to make sure he can achieve his his goals. And I engaged with a story at a point in time when I was also trying to learn how do I take care of myself and not push myself too hard and not get Mm -hmm. super burned out and everything so that I can achieve my goals 
And I think that's really cool. Like also in terms of like, a, you know, usually a sports story is about like learning to push through the pain and like overcome adversity. And instead, this is a story about learning to like treat your body well and to manage yourself well in order to accomplish those things. Yeah, it's it's really lovely, I think, too, just not even like even outside of the sports element I think just in general, if we think about work culture and even school culture and preparing us to to be part of work culture, there is a lot of you're supposed to go to work if you know if you're sick, um, you've got to power through yeah. it. We have all these commercials of people like just basically taking medicine so they can go to work sick. We have this whole culture built around how little did I sleep and how many hours was I working and how little time do I have to engage in anything in my life, including, and especially with other people that I enjoy and value and certainly putting aside sleep, eating regularly, et cetera. So I think that is also a really nice way to think about being successful, but also being the best that you are as part of taking care of yourself. Self-care is really, really key in a way that just isn't part of a lot of rhetorics that we are consistently surrounded with. And I do that again. I, I feel like every time I watch anime, uh, I I'm always asking myself like, how representative is this of <laughs> Japanese culture? Yeah, And I'm sure it's not fully representative, but I feel like from what I have learned about corporate culture in Japan as well, it's, it's very similar sort of grind work culture. And so yep. It's really refreshing to see that in this particular volleyball-focused manga and anime as well. Yeah. And actually, what's kind of interesting about that is that part of Hinata learning that was actually him leaving Japan. Like, he Mm. leaves Japan to go to Brazil for a while, which in general has a much more laid-back culture, I think. Yeah. Um, So trying to get out of that cycle of constantly pushing yourself and pushing yourself to really think about what does what does my body need what does my mind need mm-hmm. to to be its best in the way that i think of as its best and not just what yeah everybody else thinks of as its best yeah absolutely so let's let's talk about some gay stuff yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's very easy for the homosocial to shift into the homoerotic. Hinata's obsession with Kageyama and their like rivals to friends thing is so weird. There's actually one point um, in a later episode where their coach calls them lovebirds while they're out like bickering with each other. yeah that hits the nail on the head I feel like (laughs) yeah it's really common in this fandom like if you're looking through the you know relationship tags and archive of our own it's really common to pair setters with their aces so like Kageyama and Hinata Oikawa and Iwazumi from Albajosai Oikawa is the one who has the like alien conspiracies (laughs) nice and Akaashi and Bokuto, who are one of my favorites. Bokuto has these like weird frosted tips on his head and he's he's like over the top excited about everything all of the time. 
and Akaashi is like super chill and down to earth and like has to kind of manage this is actually another story of self-parenting like for a while Akaashi is having to manage Bokuto's emotional ups and downs as he's like playing well or playing not well and like as he gets older post time skip we see Bokuto able to kind of manage his own emotional well-being I think it would be really interesting for us to listen to a clip from the first episode. Okay, so we're going to watch a short clip from the first episode where Hinata sees the tiny giant and really gets super excited about volleyball for the first time. And I wanted to watch this because of the way in which they animate the face and the eyes in particular. And to me, it just feels like such a homoerotic moment for sure uh, among other things so i will just take a quick look here of this all right ready yep three two one he might be surrounded by players as tall as six foot two but that does not stop karasuno's tiny giant from making a huge impact Oh, Karasuno, the next town over. They're not half bad. Hurry up, Hinata. We're going to lose our soccer field. Karasuno? He's Uh, just like, he's so in love. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... So first of all, I didn't realize that Karasuno was a school. So I, when I watched that scene for the first time, I thought... Kurasuno was the player and Mm. I was like oh that is we're supposed to believe him as being like this is the guy that I really look up to and because of that I want to play volleyball and I was like I'm reading this as a first crush like oh wow that that's the guy that I want to make out with right (laughs) behind the school bleachers that's how I read that scene and I think there's something about it's the shimmering on the eyes right you're watching this moment it's a close-up of Hinata's face he's got this wild orange hair his eyes are shimmering and shining almost as if and there's oh yeah almost as if he's about to tear up it and he's there's a bit of a shaking going on the face and yeah something the way that like the the, like zooms in on his mouth and his lips part just a little as he like makes a little like (gasps) Yeah. Gasp. Yeah. And then there, and that's, it's goes between his face and that loving expression. And to, you don't really see the face of the tiny giant. You're looking at his body, right. And his, his Mm -hmm. muscled body, the way he's moving in a really physical manner. It's, it's hard to watch that without being like, this is definitely a crush moment and not necessarily I'm becoming obsessed with volleyball moment. And I feel like those moments, the ways in which they highlight people's faces and the way they animate, the way the eyes are moving and what they choose to focus on does that over and over again Yep. in the show. It's, I think because of that, really even harder to not take that line from the homosocial to the homoerotic really, really quickly. Just getting on that homoeroticism train. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and because... I, I also think it's easy to read Hinata as like neuroatypical in some ways. Like mm-hmm. he 
he really struggles with school. He struggles with managing his emotions. If it's not the thing he's hyper-focused on, which is volleyball, it's like really hard for him to make it. And he has this tendency throughout the show to like say things that come across as rude or like are, are really unfiltered. And he has this tendency to like comment on his teammates bodies or like how they move or how they play in ways that are really unfiltered. And it's clear that he like pays a lot of attention to men's bodies. Yeah. Which part of that is like as a player, but it also is really easy to read that as homoerotic. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it's interesting because last episode we were talking about, neurodivergence and ADHD in Ed from Our Flag Means Death. And his ADHD presentation was very much like this restless energy, this boredom, this need to escape, right? But we saw less of these kind of weird social, basically like social issues with not quite following along with social mores was sort of missing some of these those cues mm-hmm. that seemed to come up more with the character of steed mm-hmm. in terms of his autistic presentation but yeah we're seeing we're seeing an adhd that really like <laughs> at least is very familiar to me in terms of yep. the just saying stuff that i have focused in on amongst the many different things i am called to focus in on that no one else has focused in on and seems really bizarre for me to say, yeah, I feel like I read that in Hinata as well, at least the very, again, the very small amount of the show that I watched. It was really interesting to watch. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the reasons why Hinata and Kageyama are such a popular pairing for like having this, you know, these stories that go from like rivals to friends to more than friends is Kageyama has the same kind of hyper focus. He's also really socially awkward like he he doesn't Kageyama's story in the show is like learning to play on a team as well in a very Mm -hmm. different way from Hinata but they get along with each other because neither one of them is too weird for the other or like too (laughs) off-putting for the other they kind of hate each other and annoy each other but they also like don't get weirded out by each other right yeah, it's weird to, again, I'm just going to keep referring to the first episode because it's the only one that I've seen, but there's that moment where Hinata gets like his tummy ache and runs to the bathroom that doesn't actually need to go to the bathroom for any purpose except to like work through his anxiety. And then the, the other team that Kageyama is on, some of those teammates, well, first of all, Hinata calls them out and is like, you guys are jerks and I'm going to beat you. And then they start making fun of him, which I was like, well, you kind of invited that (laughs) teasing Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, Kageyama comes up and is like, hey, stop messing with him, right? Like, it's not, it's this mix of like, don't mess with this guy, but also you, he says something along the lines of like, you're, you don't, you're not focused enough to be able to talk shit basically so stop yeah. it it's a really weird mix of like he comes to in a, in a way Hinata's rescue but on the other hand part of it is him just being a jerk to all of his teammates because he feels like no one is as devoted as he is 
to yeah. support. And what we find out later, I think this is post first episode, was that like later in that tournament where Kageyama is calling out his teammates for like not having the right to talk shit yet, basically, his team basically refuses to play with him anymore in, oh, in that wow. tournament. So yeah. like he gets benched and it's a really traumatizing moment for him of um, having people refuse to play with him because he's being, I mean, he's being a total jerk, but, but also kind of like, he's just being too weird for other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's an interesting thing too, though, because I feel like, again, in terms of our starting conversation where he gets benched because he can't interact in a, in an effective way. He, he's that kind of single player focus and mm -hmm. it's a way in which we see someone who, while they may have more like raw physical talent and understanding of the game, it doesn't matter if they can't have a good relationship with their teammates, where it yep. seems like a lot of the, the tropes in sports, like men's sports teams in the United States are like, well, everyone else just kind of has to figure out how to get along with this one person, whether they're pleasant or not, if they are really good at the game. Again, yeah. I, I, it's sort of a nice <laughs> refreshing yep. way of being like, no, you can't just be your own little island. You have to figure out how to interact with others in some kind of functional way. Yeah. So one of the really kind of interesting things about the like fandom is the way that this like focus on teams and like interpersonal relationships gets translated into like other kinds of teams in these like AU stories. Yeah. So it's really common for like a really popular one is like Yakuza mafia, like crime family stories. Oh, wow. Um, I could because, see that. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it like one of my, one of my favorite stories, which I could not find in time for this, but it, like it allows for having these group dynamics that we have set up in the show and then you have these like hierarchies and you also have rivalries and it also is a way to take some of the like more kind of saccharine stuff from the anime and make it a little bit grungier like it's a little yeah. you know because it's also like crime right um, <laughs> yeah uh, so that's really common. Having feudal kingdoms or like fantasy kingdoms is another really common yeah. one. I feel um, like that tracks for some similar reasons. I was just thinking to not to dwell mm -hmm. on Yakuza for so long, but I just feel like Yakuza, volleyball players with a lot of tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, you've inevitably got the, like, tattoo florist stories. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. also, I was just thinking, like, that's an interesting, like, high school volleyball team to organize crime pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, so, okay. Feudal and fantasy kingdoms. That tracks, yeah. too, because you have, inevitably, there's hierarchy and and rivalry on small regional scales. Yeah. One of the more interesting ones that I found that is still a, there aren't as many stories in there but there are some that arrange the teams as like different pantheons of deities hmm. and you have like one one that I read has the the different characters and teams mapped onto Greek 
the Greek pantheon. So mm-hmm. like Bokuto is like Poseidon, king of the sea, and then different members of his team are different parts of the like sub gods of the sea and things like that, which similar kind of like it lets you, you know, have like this idea of territory and rivalries and everything can can map on there. Did you feel like with the I'm just curious to know as someone you're familiar with Greek myths and deities and the show I'm curious like does Bokuto and Poseidon does that track um you know I my first instinct is to say no but then I think again and I think maybe yes Okay. But I think it's a view of Poseidon. We actually, I want us to do an episode at some point on the video game Hades. And for people who are familiar with that, the version of Poseidon, like the way Poseidon is presented in that game, mm-hmm. tracks very well with Bokuto as a character. So I think that it might be like more contemporary views of Poseidon okay, um, as having these like whims, you know, like kind of being everybody's favorite uncle okay <laughs> like I don't know like a good time guy you know like interesting yeah. I I don't feel like I know enough about the actual narratives of Greek myths to know what the personalities are beyond beyond my long-standing uh, introduction to Xena and Hercules through the 1990s shows yep. in New Zealand <laughs> Beyond the characters involved in that directly, I I have no sense of that. But that's interesting. I love this idea of like Poseidon, the good time god. Yeah, <laughs> he may Which or may not. Would, I guess it would be like Dionysus, god of wine, would okay. be the real good time god. But like, yeah, I, to me, like yeah. Poseidon is like he might sink your boat. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, he's not a good time god. To yeah, me, who but... knows? Um, <laughs> I really, uh, we really need to talk about the Omega verse um yes the Omegaverse stories yeah I looked at the first two and I will probably continue reading Chance and let me see which one I read actually I read Chance I want to talk about that and then Uh I think I read yeah I was reading Shine again that was yeah those are the two that I took some time to read and was really fascinated by so Shine again was actually the first Omegaverse story that I really got into. So Shine Again 120% is written by Meririn no Mono Gatari. I have horribly Monogatari, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Monogatari. And one of the really interesting things about that story is a lot of the chapters are opened with, or they contain sections where maybe characters are like sitting in class and learning history or things like that. But it's these reflections on like the origins of the Omegaverse in these stories. So the mm-hmm. setup is like there was a big decline in human population. They needed to find ways to try to improve our chances of reproduction. So they started doing experiments with shifting humans from a menstrual cycle to a heat cycle. And then also wanted to create men that could have babies because the more people that can have babies the faster you can re-up your population Mm -hmm. and I found that I found that attention to detail and that like trying to explain why we might have gotten to this point really interesting yeah that's fascinating I I only read the, the first couple of chapters so I what I was getting was the this background of 
the larger and the, and the author says this, they say that they're really more interested less in the specific physiology, biology of this than they are. What are the social effects mm-hmm. that might have come out of this? What's the system that's been built, which I found really, really fascinating. I mean, the first chapter opens with this sort of new story in the background of, of new drugs to help, I guess, omegas to suppress their scent and to suppress their heats. And I just thought that was really, it. it there was so much in there that was impossible not to read as an interesting allegory to the ways in which women and I would also say intersex and trans folks are treated in the society we actually live in. So I found that really fascinating about the story. So it's it's interesting to know that there's even more beyond that of like, how in the world would we have become this kind of society? It's They don't, they don't have to address the how, but I think that's interesting. And I appreciate that that story treats a lot of the common tropes of Omega verse stories as like cultural products. So Mm -hmm. like the, there's this whole section in there about like mating bites and how at this point in time, mating bites are considered, you know, cruel unconsent like non-consensual or unnecessary whereas that's kind of treated as a like matter of course in a lot of omegaverse stories and i think it is really interesting how many of the omegaverse stories in the haiku fandom are really thinking carefully about issues of gender and sports yeah okay so Um, before we get to that because i think that is a really interesting element and it was uh something that i'm seeing involved in that story I want to talk about Omegaverse generally. So I did like a bit of my research on fan lore about like, I've heard this over and over again. What is Omegaverse? And I was interested to see that actually it started in Supernatural fandom, which I would not have guessed. Yeah. I The, the werewolf aspect of it seems to be, but it also seemed like it wasn't about a random werewolf character and like Sam it was about Jared and Jensen largely (laughs) the doing real person fiction RPF Jared and Jensen who are in a world in which we have this outdated wolf characteristic because also the research that led to alphas and betas has been debunked and shown to be only uh, applicable within captive wolf communities but in any case so tell can yeah. you just can we take a minute to talk through like what in the world is omegaverse yeah and why? i would love uh, to hear well, you tell me about this. <laughs> um i i i think a lot about the why okay so basic basics uh in a shell um in omegaverse stories people have a they call it like a primary gender which is male female And then people have a secondary gender that usually manifests sometime during puberty and people manifest as an alpha, which are usually physically stronger, larger. They, in in a lot of stories, they have a like need to, to dominate or to like be in charge or to be good caregiver or like to just like 
take care of things, right? They're the alpha figure. Yeah. Betas are like normal people, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they just, you know, they, they're like you and me. They don't have anything extra. Um, in some stories, betas also have social roles that they play in terms of being mediators. They're often caregivers so in a lot of stories you'll have it you'll have it be normal for relationships to involve an alpha and omega and a beta so that like the alpha is like in charge the omega is basically there to be pregnant and then the the beta is the one who kind of like runs the household and takes care of things and makes sure everything's functioning omegas are basically in impregnable is that that's not the right word impregnable impregnable because impregnable makes it sound like they can't be pregnated yeah i don't know um <laughs> they they can get pregnant whether they are biologically male or female so like omega males have developed a womb and they i guess have like a cloaca kind of thing going on although in some stories uh, male omegas also have a vagina yeah, they and, also and chance that they have both. Right. Sometimes there is a vagina in male omegas. Sometimes there is not, and their anus becomes slick. Like they actually call it slick. It becomes lubricated with slick. Yeah, um, I've seen that word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then in female alphas, this is the one that doesn't get talked about as much because. Uh, well, I have theories about that as well. But in female yeah. alphas, sometimes they they actually just have like a, a penis. Sometimes their clitoris will basically like enlarge to the size of like enlarge enough to uh, penetrate a partner and then mm. they ejaculate through it. I'm not. Not it, clear. Not clear. But yeah, so that's kind of the basic biology of and then there's also heat and rut cycles that's the other important thing so omegas go into heat they have several days usually i think most stories it's a month sometimes it's three months Uh, who knows uh it depends on the author but they go into heat and they desperately want to get impregnated alphas go into rut and desperately want to impregnate something Mm -hmm. and there are all of these ways in which societies are then set up to manage the fact that a significant portion of your population is like too horny to function for <laughs> several days at yeah. a time. So, okay. A couple of questions because when I was reading about this on fan lore, one, it wasn't clear. It seems like earlier on in the it wasn't called Omega Verse earlier on. That was my take. My my understanding was that it was ABO. Mm-hmm. And the earlier stories that you had alpha males and you had beta males. Mm-hmm. And then somehow somewhere in there, the Omega male came in, I guess, for MPREG reasons. Um, yeah. But it seemed to me that this was all like you that we had male and female and then among males we had alpha beta omega or just alpha and beta or just alpha and omega and the stories that i've been looking at also have female so it's obviously developed from them so it sounds like as you said you have your main i guess sex <laughs> your gender assigned at birth that's tricky too because like the yeah. thing is is 
you're not really assigned a gender at birth because it, you have to wait until you hit puberty to figure out what your actual functional gender will be in society. Mm-hmm. Either way, it is assigned to you through biological determinism, which I find uh, something that we should talk about, I guess, because I feel like that's interesting to me. I guess I just wanted, oh, I, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about genitalia. I feel like yeah. I'm really interested in how this works because I was like, okay, it, within this system, we seem to have a very like biological determinism going on of like, you are determined to be male or female based on some criteria at birth, it seems like. And mm-hmm. then you start to go through puberty, but puberty means something different now and you may become alpha beta or omega whether you are male or female and then but that then what happens right like are folks who are more likely to become a beta female or sorry an alpha female or an omega male are they intersex already I don't know I'm like maybe yeah maybe people have thought more about this in the fandom than me or not but I'm just curious if we know it um it it varies pretty widely. So in some stories, part of puberty for an Omega male is like growing a womb. Um, yeah, so they are, okay. they are not intersex up until that point. And then at that point, their body like sends hormonal signals that cause certain kinds of changes Mm. um and similarly for like alpha females they they are not necessarily intersex until that point and then they develop certain I guess primary sex characteristics all over again yeah Um, I find it very interesting I'm like is it there already or are they developing it it sounds like there's a, a wide array Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder- there are there are some stories in which your like secondary sex is determined is there from birth so like you are born with male genitalia and a womb therefore you are an omega man okay so there's a there's a wide range of takes on this so like yeah. and I some of it seems I feel like it's kind of like a, a mix because the fan lore was explaining like there were some bestiality stories and ABO was like, we're really interested in men being able to impregnate each other, but we're not interested in bestiality stories, but we borrowed ABO for that purpose. So I, it seems to me too, that like some of the basic characteristics of it are almost like what inspiration are they taking from animals that go into heat, which is a number of different ones. Like, Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems to me like if you, the animal is in heat for like two months, that's closer to like cat heat. Um, we know that hyena females, in order to establish dominance, can develop pseudo penises. Yeah, they can't impregnate. Uh, they just it just it's a very elongated clitoris that looks like a penis and establishes dominance in that way. So yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I just keep maybe getting too overwhelmed by the system but I also feel like the ways in which people represent the gender system and the sexual characteristic system is really important in terms of Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand in terms of what it continues in terms of our problematic rhetorics but also ways in which we can undo some of those in some interesting kind of querying so yeah I don't know I just got really stuck on that like what is happening with our bodies (laughs) It's it's super confusing when you when you like first start trying to read 
Omega verse stories because there isn't, there aren't really hard and fast rules, or maybe there once were, but we're at a point now, uh, and we're a long time ago where everybody just kind of plays with the rules how they feel like it to do what it whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. So, one of the one of the interesting things actually now thinking about like gender determinism is that I I don't know that I have read any. Omega verse stories with people transitioning in their primary gender, what they call a primary gender, but there are stories of people transitioning their secondary gender. That's really um, interesting. Okay. And the kind of uncomfortable thing about it is uh, it's mostly people tra- wanting to transition from alpha to omega, and huh. they call the process bitching. <laughs> course they do um Uh, i'm just gonna give myself a little hug over here yeah you should you should which was actually one of okay so one of the stories that i had posted for brit to maybe take a look at which is one of the longer stories that still isn't finished and i am like checking in on it every week is 280 days by ink stained gravity which is it's an alpha omega story about toru oikawa the alien obsessed pretty boy okay and iwazumi hajime iwazumi they've been like best friends since childhood um they're often paired together in stories in this particular story iwazumi is an alpha oikawa is an omega and oikawa is one of the first omegas to play volleyball professionally like Mm -hmm. on the world stage so he's getting ready for his first olympics this is going to be the first olympics ever where they have had omegas playing And so there is a lot of like social pressure and focus on him as one of, there's like, I think three Omegas that are going to be participating. And what happens is that uh, Oikawa and Iwazumi have sex in which Oikawa penetrates Iwazumi Mm -hmm. and he impregnates Iwazumi, which is not supposed to be able to happen. Like alphas aren't supposed to be able to get pregnant. Yeah. Which is the whole reason that they like had unprotected sex in that way to begin with was so that Oikawa wouldn't get pregnant and instead he impregnated Iwazumi. So it flips everything about the like established Omega verse in this world on its head. Mm hmm. And there's, there's actually some kind of like interest. They also do some like pseudosciencey things to try to explain why this might happen. And mm. it has to do with like Iwazumi being subjected to uh, non-consensual experimentation on his hormones by his own father. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But it has some moments of Iwazumi really reflecting on his own secondary gender because he's like still an alpha, but he's undergoing pregnancy and his body is like producing hormones in different levels and degrees than it usually would so he's also sometimes experiencing these more like omega things and that kind of crossing over and reflection on like what does it even mean to be an alpha is really interesting i'm curious in that story if if this character goes through experiencing dysphoria in this because okay so uh, can you explain the dynamic so what happens was his father slipping him drugs and then he had sex with this other guy and got pregnant because unbeknownst to him he was being given hormones that were allowing his body basically to become pregnant 
but he wasn't aware of it. So yeah, that's how that was working in the story. So yeah, the, the, the drugs were doing, I think the way they explained it was that the drugs were causing Iwazumi to release these like Omega hormones mm-hmm. in moments of uh, like affection or like, you know, like deep emotional attachment to a person. So because he was having sex with the guy he's been in love with forever, his body did a big Omega thing and he got pregnant. Okay. That is an interesting trope actually that I feel like I've seen in in other M-pregs. The one I can think of is an M-preg that I read with Harry and Draco and the Harry Potter fandom. And the trope in that was that, well, when two male wizards really love each other, mm-hmm. then they're able to, one of them can decide to become pregnant because of magic. Uh, certainly it's in fantasy, so there's a lot more hand yeah. baby I'm going along. Yeah. But I that's an interesting trope. Like this, if you, I don't know what to make of it. I think it, it's, to me, I find that really interesting to hear about because it's sort of like, if you are an alpha, we'll just take that as a stand-in for hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. And you're, you allow yourself to have more tender, affectionate feelings than maybe you are otherwise supposed to express. So it's weird that that then is leading to like a physical change to becoming Omega, which is a, is much more feminized in that mm-hmm. way. I don't know how I feel about that. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And well, one of the interesting things about this story is they start working with a specialist who wants to do all kinds of tests because like this has never happened before how did this happen and Iwazumi who is pregnant is very resistant to these tests until he is talking with two of his friends who are married omegas Mm -hmm. who have been trying to find a a surrogate to have a child and they have been unsuccessful because there's a lot of cultural stigma around how alphas can't be good parents like you have to have an omega parent if you want a baby raised right Mm -hmm. so they're both alphas not both omegas yeah they're both alphas okay and so iwazumi agrees to further investigation as to what happened to him in the hopes of the doctor being able to develop a process by which alphas can routinely become pregnant mm-hmm. if there are cases where an alpha pair wants to have a kid together. Yeah, I I feel <laughs> I think all of this is really blowing my mind because <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I have so many questions as, as a member of the trans community. I feel very much like on the one hand, the idea of transformation is mm-hmm. there and in that story in particular you get like the possibility of of people wanting to explore I guess transition medically for this purpose but the purpose is a very like kind of he- heteronormative one right in the sense yeah. of like reproduction but on the other hand all of these things seem to be very much determined by body and physiology and hormones coming sort of naturally from the body Mm -hmm. um, except in this instance where apparently he was being given hormones which I don't know it's it's interesting because it's like it does feel very deterministic to me in a way Mm -hmm. that I find very troubling I do think it's interesting with this development of like you have your gender and your subgender it seems almost like because of the 
the argument seems to be, and there's no argument, but the argument seems to me to be that like, because the societal issues are based on subgenders, not on primary genders, people don't necessarily feel any dysphoria about their primary gender or any potential need to want to change that but they do feel that pressure from their their secondary genders which I think is an interesting idea to have in the world right like uh, it almost as if like transness wouldn't exist except for social pressures and I don't know how I feel about that as an argument in general yeah I don't know it's also sort of interesting to hear what you were just talking about with 280 days the sense of like uh, just in relation to the public discourse we have right now, we'll just limit it to the United States. It's everywhere, but we'll limit it to here in terms of like how dangerous medical intervention is seen as. And the idea that doctors and parents are forcing trans treatments onto children who can't really consent. It's just sort of outrageous, right? And yet you see some of these themes in these stories interacting in very, very different ways. But all of these rhetorics also interact in really weird ways when you've got on the one hand, all of these people trying to ban any kind of gender-based help. And on the other hand, suggesting that young children have gastric bypass surgeries and (laughs) because they're anti-fat, it's like such a bizarre universe to be living in, I guess, both real and unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I I think my main takeaway is like, I wonder how trans people feel about the Omega verse. (laughs) That's a, I that's a really good question. As, I as would... a member of a trans community in a certain yeah. way, I feel I feel in both intrigued and kind of weirded at like Well, because so much of the Omega verse is really based on binaries, alphas are hyper masculine, omegas are hyper feminine, regardless of their primary gender. Mm-hmm. And then betas are kind of stuck there in the middle, just like doing whatever. Betas are there to just like make the world work while everybody else is horny all the time. Yeah. And and I I want to like say for sure that the stories that I'm talking about today as being like really interesting are definitely outliers. There is so much weird, toxic, non-consensual stuff in the Omegaverse. Yeah. Um, I mean, so Chance was interesting to read mm-hmm. because- yeah, in that story, you have some different characters who's I had to I looked them all up because I needed to see what they yeah. <laughs> looked like in the show. I now can't remember their can't pull their names to the forefront. It's uh, Mia Atsumu and uh, Sakuza Koi Kiyomi. Yes, yeah. yeah. So in that story, it, it was it was interesting to me because you have one character Kiyomi Sakusa who is an omega male but is a like unusually tall just unusually tall in general and like very muscular for what is Mm -hmm. expected of an omega and yet because he's omega he he has to inevitably become and is also a nobleman he has to inevitably become a wife to an alpha and in this case it's as a spoil of war to Mm -hmm. this this alpha who he hates in terms of personality uh, there's a lot going on in that story too, in terms of the sort of dubious consent area where it's like, well, and again, I didn't know what to do with it because it was sort of like, well, when, when Sakusa is in his heat and his partner Mia is providing, I guess, help with that heat, mm-hmm. that's great. Like he needs that 
physical release he needs the nodding yeah <laughs> nodding was also oh god we haven't even like, talked uh, about the nodding about nodding but but when they're not in that sexual pheromone world they at least well i think actually i would argue that mia really does quite like and is interested in beyond sexually uh saksa but that that's not the same way the other way around and i just was like i don't know how to feel about this fact that like your own your own body is betraying you in terms of consent and that Mm -hmm. this is just again biologically determined and i feel I feel like it's strange because we know, for example, that, you know, when people are, are raped, particularly like women are, uh, you know, cis women are raped, they can experience involuntary orgasm, but that's not pleasurable for them. Right. Like, whereas in this story that I, it's not, it's not that horrific involuntary orgasm, it's pleasurable. And yeah, I hate this person. And I, again, I don't know what to make of that exactly <laughs> yeah there's another so mia atsumu and sakuza kiyomi is a is another really popular pairing they also mm-hmm. happen to be a setter ace pairing yeah um again there's another story in which the the secondary genders are switched and it's a modern day story so mm-hmm. sakuza sakuza is the alpha mia is the omega and so in the show, Sakuza had he like he's a real germaphobe. He's um he wears a mask everywhere. We see him like cleaning things and disinfecting things a lot. He has just like a lot of anxieties about social engagement. Yeah. And in this other story where he is the alpha in the case, he he has a kind of similar reaction of like he has sex with Mia and as soon as they're done and he's like kind of in his kind of in his right mind again a little mm-hmm. bit he is he's kind of horrified by like who he became during the like throes mm-hmm. of his rut yeah and so I think that there is maybe some like, you know, dys- dysphoria for him actually in a lot of stories where he's he finds his biology forcing him into doing things that he really doesn't want to be doing because it's like um, him being out of control in this way where he feels like he needs to have hyper control because of his mental illness and personality. Right. I guess the only, because dysphoria, I think, is a really interesting thing. And I I guess the one way to read dysphoria there is sort of like if seeing dysphoria in the genitalia you have, or um, if you are, you know, a trans guy, but you're having your, your period, for example, like that's definitely reminding you of things that your body is doing without your consent or all of the, all of the secondary sex characteristics that we develop if we are forced to go through one puberty first that are it's just mu- there's a lot more stuff to do after the fact to change any of those things yeah that's really interesting I yeah I don't know it's I it's interesting I think to me because obviously we're not a society of of creatures that has heat and rut cycles <laughs> <laughs> and so Thank it's God. like right oh my god what a mess I I guess it's hard to sort of see these things as not problematic, but mm-hmm. I, I'm also intrigued by the stories themselves. And I, I don't know. I, I think I need to sit on this for a little while longer. Yeah. <laughs> so certainly, 
One question I did have though, and maybe you don't have the answer to this, in Chance, I was really sort of horrified by the, and I don't know if it was purposely written this way or not, but our main character there, Sakusa, has really, really bad, painful heats and heats are always inevitably painful and his are especially so and i it really and the and and of course in that story he's losing his virginity and being bonded for the first time and it's well on the one hand it breaks the trope in that it is really lovely on the one hand i guess sexually but it also really is painful Mm-hmm. And I thought this, again, this is this trope of like, well, the first time you have sex, if you're a cis, you know, woman mm-hmm. who's also straight, it's going to hurt regardless of any, anything you can do as being yeah. sort of like the main rhetoric, whether, even though that's not actually true. And we know that that doesn't have to be true. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, my question was like, across these stories that you've seen, do heats tend to be painful This is another thing where there's a wide variety. So there is everything from like, it's painful if you don't get fucked Mm -hmm. to being kind of in a semi-dissociated state all the way to it being a kind of minor inconvenience where like closer to like how cis women experience periods now where it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, there's some like cramping and it's, you don't especially want to like go out So there, and I think a lot of that also reflects on like the author's views of contemporary gendered issues, I think. Mm. One of the things that I do find kind of interesting about Omegaverse stories is the way that we have these worlds set up where it's just assumed that like everybody is going to have to have a break from social life from time to time to deal with their biology Mm -hmm. in whatever way that is. Whereas in the world we live in now, women for a very long time were told that they couldn't participate in social life because of their biology. And even now we feel, I think, often compelled to push through and act like periods don't happen. Yeah. Um, Well, I think childcare as well. Mm-hmm. is sort of a holdover that was something that kind of hit me in these stories was that because both men and women it, it were bearing children but then it ended up it's, it's sort of like it fell to the omega in the end so there you still have this yeah. binary system but it was interesting I guess and maybe this is an appeal to some writers where it's like you see men bearing children and having to take time out to raise them and certainly yeah. I did take time out to deal with with a heat or with I guess with rutting as well though it wasn't as clear in the one story whether that those were seasonally linked in the way that we see with animals uh, depending on the animal I suppose yeah but it was interesting I and I think it's something that we do need right we do need to uh, to just have baked in like time for us to just deal with being humans um, whatever yeah. that means for us yeah. It doesn't have to be biologically uh, assumed. But yeah, just this, like, as you point out, pretending that periods don't exist to just get along, which, you know, now at in my late 30s, that's perfectly possible. But certainly when I was in middle school and just starting and I had really horrendous pain along with mm-hmm. my periods every single time, it was like, how am I supposed to just go to school? Like, <laughs> this yeah. doesn't make any sense. I am non-functional. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I do think it's interesting for sure. So 
I think you wanted to talk about sports and gender. So let's go there because I definitely was like, I want to talk about Omegaverse and (laughs) what in the hell is going on with Omegaverse. Oh, wait, before we get to sports and gender, you you had some thoughts about the why of Omegaverse. So share those with me. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that I think that Omegaverse appeals to some fans because it is it's almost like hyper conservative gender okay (laughs) it's uh it's binary gender so hardcore that it's like biologically enforced like you were saying right and it lets it allows for a lot of non-consensual or borderline consensual stuff to happen in stories in ways that is like acceptable within the narrative structure. So I think right. that there's a lot of appeal for different kinds of kinks, for instance, okay, with yeah. Omegaverse stories. I think that there's also, you know, impreg happens in a lot of different situations now, not necessarily in Omegaverse, but I do think mm-hmm. that impreg is part of the appeal, like getting to have these male characters doing pregnancy and experiencing pregnancy and I don't know, like it sometimes feels to me almost like playing with paper dolls. <laughs> Yeah, and like getting to like make other people go through what you go through just because maybe cathartic or yeah, I that's I think that is interesting because mpreg is also an area where I feel I've always sort of felt like intrigued that this exists, mm-hmm. and yet I just can't quite connect with why it's so interesting. I mean, yeah. I th- so to me, the more interesting element of it is like okay, if you are a queer person and let's say you want to have a biological child and, and and you're able to do it with your actual partner. Yeah. And that is something that you really value. Then I suppose mpreg, although you don't see it going the other way necessarily, is sort of an interesting area, but my sense is that, that that's not really who's writing them. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it feels like a way to read to place a heteronormative relationship onto two men. Yeah, totally. Um, that you really like. And I uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, poop on someone's, on someone's kink, on someone's love. I'm not going to crap all over yeah. it. I, I think it's good. I, I think there's benefit in liking things that people should be allowed to like things and play with them. But it is interesting to me that you have a lot of non-queer people writing their version of queerness, which is absolutely not yep. queer. And I, I don't know, it's sort of interesting. Like, why why do we have to have this very heteronormative story about two men when you could imagine something else that sort of imagines yeah. outside of binary gender and outside of expectations of masculinity? and outside of heteronormativity and and what sort of success as a heteronormative adult looks like. I don't know. I I think it's it's an interesting thing, but I also, uh, I'm just never quite sure I know why it exists. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that there there are some writers that I think use Omegaverse to very deliberately try to experiment with gender. I don't think it's always necessarily successful. And I think often it's less about experimenting with gender per se than like experimenting with the culture surrounding gender or like to try to explore or reflect on real world cultural gender stuff. Yeah. 
so like thinking about the like gender and sports stuff that we mm-hmm. see with the high Q stories, there's a lot of so like most teams in Omegaverse stories are still divided into like men's teams and women's teams. Right. But the whether or not Omegas get to participate in sports past a certain level is always kind of the the catch yeah and a lot of times people talk about it in terms of well I say people like within the story within yeah. the narrative universe the predominant cultural idea is that well omegas just like aren't biologically suited for it yeah and so then you have omega characters who are you know having to like work harder than everybody else who are having to like medically intervene with their own hormones in order to like yeah be acceptable to play in particular ways and who then continue to face scrutiny from the public because of whether or not they are there's a lot of like moralizing about it right right i was gonna say that i I read a little bit of Shine again, and that was definitely in there. And I mm-hmm. thought what it, that was also interesting, too, in that, like, the character directly comments upon the fact that all of these things about whether an Omega should be allowed to play on a high school team, because he he goes to a game to choose a high school, and, and he sees someone on the team who's doing really well. And then the, you see this moment where you, you see the little patch to keep the, the mm-hmm. pheromones from spreading out and then apparently shots in the stomach to help you know Mm -hmm. basically make heat not happen or whatever and so he learned ah this everybody learns in the stadium that this this is an omega player and suddenly everyone is like oh i can't believe that like what is this you know this omega is going to end up unmarried Mm -hmm. and a single parent and you know what is the coach doing this for they know it's going to drive the alphas into a frenzy and it was sort of an interesting way to like remove by one step the ways in which traditionally people in the world we live in have talked about women and and men right how Mm -hmm. we see what we see is male and female uh, by putting it into this other equally deterministic binary Mm -hmm. system and even our character has this moment of thinking like, well, uh, Omegas don't usually do this because it's biology, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you can only do so much with biology, which is interesting because if we actually look at biology, there's a wide variety of things that mm-hmm. happens within that. So it's interesting. And then in that too, like, it's interesting to put up against discussions of like trans folks in sports because mm-hmm. people are especially obsessed with making sure that trans women aren't participating at competitive levels in sports but they don't care if trans men do i think yep. because they assume trans men, won't one, do as well. <laughs> trans men aren't men right that's yeah. their assumption and two it doesn't matter because trans men aren't going to do well so who cares yeah. and it's just like this really ah whereas in this story people are using hormones to or, or sorry using medical treatments to suppress hormones i don't know it's all very interesting yeah yeah and i think that also the way in which with with a lot of trans athletes the way that like your medical history suddenly becomes everybody's business yeah to like validate your right to play or your ability to play Mm -hmm. or even if you're not trans right so you know we have um i can't remember her name but she is a famous runner Mm -hmm. and it's possible that if you were to to do karyotyping 
which we don't usually do for people at all. And it's expensive and slow. And why would we do that? It's possible that she's intersex. I don't know, but she naturally has a higher level of testosterone and has been basically banned from running, I think the 400 meter against other women because it's unfair. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. This is really, it's like this, I I guess to me, I'm just like, why, uh, why are we so obsessed with like, what are your hormone levels and what are, what what are your genitalia look like? And now I want to know what your, what your chromosomes look like, even though if I were to find out my own chromosomes. I'm sure they would be something I didn't expect, right? Like, yeah, so, I, don't <laughs> I don't even know my own chromosomes. Why should I know yours? Yeah. Yeah. And I always like, there's a part of me that gets really frustrated with the like discourse around protecting women in sports against these trans women, because the, the assumption there is that like, <laughs> that like women's sports have to be kept in a nice little bubble so that the women can still do their thing Mm -hmm. instead of us addressing the fact that we're like a sports obsessed culture in general and Mm -hmm. we have like culturally decided to value sports over more like traditionally feminine activities or that kind of thing so like we don't have knitting olympics all right. I want to step back a little bit. And if, yeah. uh, what are some other things that you would like to say about some of the fandom that is not necessarily going down the, the road that I've been <laughs> pulling us down? No, I, I can make a good segue here. The interesting thing about the fact that the show, uh, well, not the show, but the manga does this like time skip where we mm-hmm. move from these people being in high school to like, I think it's eight years in the future. Okay. is how many of them don't end up playing volleyball and it there for some of the characters we see them like having these real moments of like deciding whether or not they're gonna pursue volleyball and then for some of them it's like really obvious um and mm-hmm. one of them actually it's uh Mia Atsumu's twin brother Osamu who was just like nah I don't want to do volleyball I want to cook food (laughs) and so he opens a restaurant the one that has maybe been the most controversial in the fandom is Daichi who is the captain of the Karasuno volleyball team Mm -hmm. and so we have uh you know the the tag no beta we die like men yeah I saw that in your I actually haven't come across that before I this this tag tickles me so much because every little fandom ends up coming up with their own version of it. So mm-hmm. in the the Fire Emblem Three Houses fandom, which I would love for us to do an episode on one time, <laughs> um, there is a character that died before the start of the story named Glenn. So in that fandom, the tag is no beta, we die like Glenn. Uh-huh. So in Haiku, it was no beta, we die like Daichi, because Mm -hmm. there is an episode where Daichi gets like hit in the head and he's knocked unconscious for a second and he's Mm -hmm. just like slumped and laying on the court and everybody is shocked and confused and it's really scary. And then from there, it evolved into no beta, we die like Daichi's morals when he became a cop, because that's Uh... what Daichi does post time skip. (laughs) And it feels like this delightful little time capsule of this like moment in especially U.S. discourse, but in other parts of the world as well, Mm -hmm. of like this real disappointment when this character that you really like grows up and decides to become a cop. Yeah. Can I just, because I have not come across the no beta thing before. Mm -hmm. Can I just ask like, 
does that what does that mean what in general the no beta fill in the blank like what is uh that the story hasn't had a beta reader so it's like often supposed to indicate that it is less polished or okay hasn't been proofread or that's kind of supposed to serve as a caveat I think okay for that, readers. that was my guess but I wasn't sure so yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> I know what betas are but I had not seen that particular take on it it means also... that there's no fish in the story <laughs> yeah no, I just, it's interesting to me because a lot of the early fan fiction I came across was not that betas were not an integral part of the system, but it also seemed like the more betas you needed, maybe the less e- effective you were as a writer. And I've run across mm-hmm. this with other fan writers from certain time periods as well. They're like, well, I felt that my writing was strong enough to not need a beta. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'll, I'll write a fic or something and I'm just like I wish I could find a beta how do we do this yeah. anymore I don't know how to find betas that's that is very interesting I like that that you have all these different takes so yeah take us back around to Hinata so what what happens with Hinata you say he learns to self-parent but tell Hinata us a little bit more graduates from high school and decides to go to Brazil to learn sand volleyball because mm. sand volleyball uh, beach volleyball is played with a two-person team mm-hmm. and he realizes that um, he needs to basically improve his skills as an overall player yeah. rather than relying on someone else to make him amazing all the time. So he travels halfway around the world. He does like food deliveries on his bicycle to pay for this little apartment he finds and gets really lonely for a while. And then has to like learn how to make friends all over again in a strange new world. And yeah. he um he does. Like he he manages to like grow up and learn how to take care of himself. And so after he finishes a stint as a beach volleyball player and comes back to Japan, he gets signed to a like top tier team. Mm-hmm. And ends up going to the Olympics in spite of the fact that he's a super short guy. Uh, Which is, it's kind of interesting because the uh, the Olympic team that they show is this like all-star cast from everyone that you saw while he was in high school. But he's also ends up playing against um, one of his big rivals from high school because Oikawa became an Argentinian citizen. <laughs> And <laughs> that's really interesting playing for Argentina yeah so it's having that like time skip where we see what happens to everyone there's there's lots of ways in which you see people having settled into these roles that kind of show how they've matured I think so like Nishinoya who is not in the first episode because he is in detention becomes a world traveler and vlogger and like hmm. And he his he talks a lot about how scared he was of everything when he was a kid. And like he's learned to overcome that fear to go out and travel. And like Sugawara has become an elementary school teacher. He's like really leaned into being that nurturing force for good. Mm-hmm. And Daichi becomes a cop because I don't know. The other exciting thing at the end of it is we actually meet the little giant. And find out what happened to the little giant. He did not go on to play volleyball. He went on to become a manga artist. Aww. 
That's so, nice. Is that circle. like a little, you know, the author played volleyball? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we've got a little bit of like Mary Sue going on in there. Yeah. Self-insert. Yeah. No, that's great. That's actually, that's, I, I really love the full circle for Hinata actually to hear about that because he was obviously so in love with the game and, all, and also like just had this ridiculous entree into it by joining the volleyball club at his school and he's the only member of the male volleyball team yeah so he's just like trying to play volleyball by himself and I was like yeah what's going on with the adults at the school they're like yeah, yeah that's fine just go play this by yourself in the gym that's fine <laughs> yeah so and he's like going around it. playing with anybody who will like he's he's like the old ladies neighborhood league yeah i'll play with you like anybody who will play with him no he will go really and try cute. to yeah well what do you want our listeners to take i guess what is your takeaway for our listeners uh my takeaway for the listeners is learn how to self-parent and yeah. haiku is a show where you come for the goofy volleyball boys and stay for the life lessons about <laughs> self-parenting that's a really great that should actually be our tagline i just said transus <laughs> because i was obsessed with omega verse and i wanted to make it trans but i don't think that actually yeah. anything about this fandom makes you trans at all no. i think they could use some some trans consultants i think yeah <laughs> uh no hi q i my takeaway is that the focus should always be on a positive element of your self-development and not because you want to meet a very limited expectation coming from the outside follow uh, your dreams follow your dreams absolutely <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks, Stephanie, for teaching me about the world of Omegaverse and Haikyuu. This has been- Yeah, and uh, don't come at me if I got things wrong, dear listener. Well, you can <laughs> you can come at me nicely. Yeah, constructive criticism, <laughs> welcome. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> all right, well, we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.